All righty. So here we are. Welcome, everybody, um, to, I don't know, some cool number. I think we're pushing 60 as far as the episodes of Dojo Universe are concerned. We've been doing this for over a year now, and uh, uh, thank you very much for coming out. Vin's not here this week. I forget what it was. Um, but uh, but we still have Carl here, and I think uh, Mike Eagle is also here um, and is, we'll be able to talk a little bit about some drumming stuff too. So, so that'll be good. I'm not sure, Mike, if you're out there, I'm not sure how long you're, you're going to be with us, but, uh, but he's here. Um, so, uh, if, if you can come on the mic there, Mr. Eagle, we can do some of these drumming questions first. So then if you have to de depart, you can do that. Uh, but basically, oh yeah, I hear somebody now. That's me. I'm here. Excellent. Well, um, you know, before we get to that, uh, basically what this session is going to be about is uh, we'll speak a little bit about how Orinmore operates um, and some of our, uh, you know, some of the key things that we do that have helped us become successful over the years. Um, and then, of, of course, uh, we want to entertain lots and lots of questions. And we already have a couple of good ones here. Um, so let me start by just sort of, um, for, for any of you who might not know who the band is, um, we're one of two current grade one bands in the U.S., and I'm the pipe major of the band, um, and uh, Michael Eagle is the newly appointed leading drummer of the band. Um, and let's see, the band has existed for just over 20 years. We started in grade three, and we came all the way up through, and we were upgraded to grade one. I want to say in 2009 or maybe for the, yeah, for the 2009 season. That was our first season officially in grade one, according to the RSPBA. And um, I don't know, let's just get right into some of these questions here. And then, uh, you know, more about the band will hopefully come out as part of that. So um, Mike Eagle, while we have you here, um, oh. and Andy is curious to know, how does this new snare core work with so many players that live far away? Man, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Good, good question and good observation, Andy. Well, the, the first answer to that is the quality of person that I look for in the drum core. And plainly stated, I look for professional musicians and professional people um, above anything else. And I, I know that, that that seems kind of weird, or to some people that may seem like an overstatement, but uh, a lot of our guys, believe it or not, don't have much, if any at all, Scottish pipe band experience. But what they do have experience in is many, many, many other musical genres and many other musical activities all over the world. So plainly put, they know how to get stuff done. So if I have a trusted colleague that lives a thousand something miles away, I can't take advantage or rely on having weekly rehearsals, and that's a bummer. But what I can take advantage of is his or her professionalism to handle their material responsibly. And when they can show up to rehearsal once a month, once every two months, whatever the case may be, they're going to show up and lay it down because, again, they are professional people and musicians. On top of that, I've, I've organized a, a pretty extensive online system whereby our members can basically train and rehearse with me 24-7. There's hours and hours of videos and recordings, and it's, it's a very, very specific methodology to, to make it to where if I talk to 
a let's say a drum set player today who's got fantastic hands fantastic musicianship really wants to be in the band and really wants to learn scottish snare drumming but he or she's never done it before there's a system in place right now that doesn't involve any time or participation from me where they can just hop on board and do it and then when they're ready we start seeing them so on and so forth so that's that's an excellent question and that's something that we've that we've strategized and done pretty successful i think from the from the very beginning yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think, uh, and, and uh, you know, obviously Michael and I work closely together on this. You know, I, I think in the long run, um, in the long run, we, we hope to develop um, a core that's more and more local, but obviously it takes a long time to develop players. So correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but, you know, it seems to me like we're kind of starting with, with the, the quality of person that you really know and you've worked with, um, and you know they're the type of person that we need, you know they're excellent drummers and technicians. Um, and, and it seems to me like, uh, it seems to me like the initial strategy is, you know, let's worry about getting the, you know, the, the team player aspect of things uh, operational. And then, you know, as far as the stylistic things and the absolute, you know, and the absolute uh, coalescence of everything musical, you know, that would, that's obviously going to take more time. Um, <clears throat> we've unfortunately, uh, you know, We've unfortunately been presented with a situation where, you know, we've had to build an entirely new core. So I think that, you know, um, so I, you know, I think is that is it fair to say that's kind of our strategy is. I, you know, I mean, there, there's there's no doubt there. As great as it is to have my, you know, my trusted colleagues essentially all over the world. I mean, we've got guys all over the U.S., Canada, and France that are on board with us. We can't expect our guys from France to come here every month. So, of course, the, the remedy or the balance of that, rather, is, of course, having, having more local participants. And, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that, you know, Andrew and I combined in, in about five or six months' time, you know, we've been able to put a core together and make it happen. And, yes, there are efforts in Albany or all over uh, that part of upstate New York, New York City, Boston, Philadelphia, the likes thereof, uh, whereby, yes, we're certainly looking for other people that have the right attitude, have the right musicianship to be on this team. So there will certainly be more regional participants in the near future. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think attitude is the number one thing. If I could add my two cents to that, Andy, um, because, you know, as you know, Andy, uh, pipe chorus, not a whole lot different, um, especially this year, we've got a lot of long distance pipers in the band. Um, you know, I think the key thing to making it work, with, when it comes to long distance and when it comes to playing in a, or when it comes to developing rather, you know, like a grade one or grade two pipe band, the number one thing is attitude. And, and I think, you know, I hate to throw percentages at it, but you know, is it, I think it's probably 90% attitude and then 10% aptitude, you know, like uh, if there's a player that's not as strong as you would ideally like that player to be, um, as long as they've got a great attitude, there's a lot, a lot you can do with that type of player. It's true. Um, it's and, true. Yeah, and I think that uh, I think that's always been uh, that's always been one of the uh, I wouldn't say it's a secret, but it's always been something Oren Moore has done really, really well. Um, in, and Donald Lindsay was a really, really inspiring character along those lines. Um, and we've always <clears throat> we've always um, Let's see. We've always sort of uh, broken the mold, so to speak, as to what sort of player um, can make a, a high-level band. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, let's move on. Uh, 
Yeah. And, you know, Andy sort of followed up that question with it's obviously regarding this year and, and not in the past where Eric McNeil was running the core. Uh, but even Eric McNeil, you know, he had, um, you know, he had a somewhat long distance snare line as well. Um, and, um, you know, and I, I would say um, in his own way, you know, that was, I think those were the sort of key things, too. I mean, you have to have the players that that want to work really hard and be really tuned in uh, because uh, especially it's just really, really hard demographically. They're just they're, it's very rare to find a high concentration of really talented players, which is where the UK has such a great advantage, because, as you know, you know, the UK is very high population density relative to what we deal with uh uh, generally speaking, throughout the U.S., um, and so it's easier for players to come in and work together than it is uh, in our sort of demographic breakdown. Uh, let's see here. Doodly doodly. How often does the drum corps get together, Mike? The uh, well, we see each other online. I mean, good lord, I don't think a day goes by where I don't see someone uh, in the corps online and we get we get together basically as often as possible again there's some of our members that have the ability to fly or drive long distances and we basically we we gear it around their life schedule i think it's very very important to uh to understand and to, to respect everyone's lives as a priority and, and i think we tend to lose sight of that when you get into grade two and grade one we take things so seriously in pipe bands. And when you get to the upper grade levels, I think people start to freak out a little bit and they think, okay, if this, if this competition we're about to do is not the reason why I wake up every day, um, then nothing else matters. And, and I don't really think that, uh, at least a lot with my guys, we, we just can't operate that way. I can't tell my guys in France, you need to stop worrying about your wife and your kids and your mortgage and you need to come over here and play buzz rolls. I just can't say that to them. I mean, they'll, you know, they'll probably not be on my team anymore. So either that, or, sure that they have their, mm -hmm. either that or they, either that or they'll be like, well, okay, I'm coming. And then, you know, then, then a family goes, then a family exactly. goes then, somewhere. Then they in lose the wife and the kids. Exactly. Then life suffers. And so yeah, you uh, be you careful. Know, you, you do, you really do, man. And you know, <laughs> when you're in the UK, if you're a grade one band or Scotland and Ireland, I mean, no disrespect to any of those guys, but they kind of got it easy. Like 99% of their members are all right there because they're firmly rooted and they've been doing their thing for decades. So they don't have to rely on long distance guys. They're all basically next door neighbors. We don't have that luxury for most of the bands in North America. We have to come together and find the, the lifers, if you will, who want to come together and make this thing happen. And so, again, if I find a guy who's not a pipe band guy, you know, someone who I bring into this or I think that I can mold into a pipe band snare drummer, he or she needs a little bit of time to kind of figure out, okay, how am I going to make this enormous musical commitment work with uh, everything else that I do in life? Because, you know, they're not going to get paid to come play snare drummer bagpipes and or and more. So they have to figure that out. So we, we get together based on the individual schedules. And sometimes that's smaller groups of us. Sometimes it's larger groups, but again, it's not about everyone being there in the same place every day. Would that be beneficial? Yes, that would be enormously beneficial, but we don't have that luxury, so we don't focus on that. What we do focus on is making sure that when we do see people, they have more than enough information to take home and to work on, so when I see them again, they're 10 times the player they were last time. 
Yeah, here's another uh, here's another good question. Uh, this one's more for me, but uh, uh, let's we'll see what Eagle thinks about my response. Uh, how much mm-hmm. autonomy do you give to the drum corps? Meaning, how much do you pull the I'm the pipe major and want this drumming thing changed? Um, I think that uh, in the perfect world, I give a lot of autonomy to Mike. Although, you know, the key there is uh, he and I spend a lot of time together individually working on the material. So, um, you know, generally speaking, there aren't any huge surprises at rehearsals in regards to, you know, what is needed or wanted. Um, and then we're just continually reevaluating. So uh, how much autonomy do you give? Um, well, it's, it's, as far as the core goes, I mean, it's entirely Mike. Um, and then as far as the overall ensemble goes, we're continuously working together individually uh, to come to, you know, what the best plan of action is. And then we just try to uh, try to put forward the plan. Uh, I mean, I could, couldn't agree more. And I, I really enjoy and appreciate the the working relationship that Andrew and I have developed. Again, it's it's always been kind of an anomaly to me where I've seen from a distance how lead sticks and pipe majors work together. May they be bands that I've been in or just bands I've been around or whatever. And I I rarely see the same type of working relationship that you see in other large ensembles like symphony orchestras or like high level high school bands or high level DCIs. I've seen those working environments and I understand how they work and I never see anything anywhere near that in pipe bands. And it's always kind of confused me. There's always been, you know, there's all, we always kind of joke about all the pipers versus the drummers. And we have these different demographics and these mannerisms and we like to kid about it. And yet I, I think a lot of that, we put more focus on it than we would like to believe. And it, it prohibits us from working in, a, in an efficient manner to achieve the best music possible. And without a doubt, I've, I've enjoyed every bit of working with Andrew. He has, he, he lets me do what I need to do and trusts me to do my job. But when he hears something specifically, may it be the end of two in the march, or may it be the flow of a phrase, he's gonna say something about it. And I, I know in a short amount of time, he is never going to say something that's arbitrary. It's never going to be, I ate a bad turkey sandwich today, or for Andrew, something that's not poultry, so I'm going to get fussy britches about it and make a big stink over nothing. If he yeah. actually hears something just that isn't jiving, like, he's going to say it. Yeah, and if there's one word to describe me, it's sort of like calm, cool, collected, ne- never moody. I, I never get in a bad mood. I'm always in a good mood. <laughs> never. Never. That's right. Never, That's right. ever in I a never, bad mood, this guy. Never. Nothing ever, nothing ever displeases me. Ever. Well, it's, that's certainly true when I'm around. I bring the light, the sunshine, the joy into Andrew's life, and I'm glad to supply that. Yeah. Sometimes your level of joy is so painful, though, that it kind of, you know, kind of ticks me off. I know. Yeah. I know. I, I, this, this happens to a lot why of people this, with me. Why is this damn guy so freaking happy all the time? What the heck? It is, it, it is indeed very fun to hit things, and it's fun to hit things around other people that like to hit things and whatnot. By the way, did you see uh, my thematic shirt for today's podcast? Oh, no, I didn't. A team effort. <laughs> that is Andrew Douglas's T-shirt, if there ever was one. Not bad. Um, <laughs> so let's see here. 
Okay, uh, I, let's see. I, I, due to recap, though, I, I will have to say to all of you pipe majors and lead sticks out there, may it be now or in the future, the working relationship of the leadership of any team, any team uh, trying to achieve any task is absolutely pivotal to the task at hand. Um, and, and you may think that it's something small that you disagree on or something something that you just don't want to address because it might be controversial. You just have to learn to zoom out and look at the big picture and make good decisions for your team. We get way too hung up on little crap that we feel passionate about. I really think our D throws need to sound like this. I really think beat one of the strats bay needs to sound like that. Those things don't matter in the grand scheme. What matters is having a good working environment, whatever that um, is. I mean, yeah, but respectfully, D throws definitely matter, but that's a topic for another day. All right, so um, <laughs> moving on. What? Uh, here's one kind of for pipe section-y type people. What techniques, strategies do you use to achieve the tonal quality you are targeting? Um, Steven, that's a good question. The answer is uh, it's the same stuff we teach at Dojo U. So everybody knows um, exactly how to achieve the tonal quality that we're going for. Um, and yes, it's absolutely uh, up to the individual to learn that skill and to master it. And then, um, yes, um, so it's a shared method and individual development. Um, it's not, uh, and maybe what you're getting at is, do the individuals that join the band just magically produce a good tone? <laughs> the answer is uh, absolutely not. Uh, most people produce, uh, uh, here's, here's a statement that will be controversial. Uh, most people on the East Coast of the United States produce what is, in my opinion, a poor tonal quality um, out of their bagpipe. I can't really speak for drumming necessarily at the moment. Um, it's, it's an unfortunate fact. It's one of the it's one of the things I was very very fortunate to learn uh, when I went out to the West Coast, where tonal quality is much more highly valued. Um, and so, yes, uh, we do a lot a lot of teaching about how to produce a good tonal quality. Um, don't get me wrong, there are pockets of excellent tonal quality that exist. Um, more Pipe Band, I, I admire the Stuart Highlanders Pipe Band very much because they achieve a really, really excellent tone. Um, and uh, lately I feel very much the same way about the New York Metro Pipe Band. So some of these grade two and one pipe bands are definitely um, on, definitely on target where, where tonal quality is concerned. Um, meanwhile, um, I feel strongly that um, a lot of what's keeping the grade three pipe bands, the, you know, there's we have a huge grade three uh, scene here on the East Coast. I think uh, one of the biggest issues that keeps these grade three bands from reaching the next level is pipe section tonal quality. Um, and uh, I don't mean this to offend anyone or, you know, uh, no offenses, uh, uh, but that's just my opinion on the matter. And so, yeah, we take it very seriously. Uh, and or more, making sure we teach and work to achieve the best tonal quality we can. Um, yes, it's true. I am allergic to poultry. It's it's a drag. <laughs> okay, Stephen says, how do you divide responsibilities between pipe major, pipe sergeant, and PC? Is that like personal computer or pipe corporal? Um, that's a pretty good question. Um, generally speaking, uh, the pipe major, I'm in charge of the overall uh, cohesiveness of the band, of working uh, closely with Mike Eagle. And then we have pipe sergeants, and then you could call them pipe corporals. We don't officially call them that in our band, 
but um, you know, uh, people that that perform certain important leadership tasks, um, you know, and and so the the pipe sergeants are very much in charge of working on individual uh, technique in unison and unison and working with individuals. I'm still heavily involved in that as well. Um, let's see. So uh, there you go. My brothers of Germany used to practice on my head when we were kids. Um, that is, I think, only natural for drummers to do. Uh, something about An Andy Adams being perfect. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I missed the initial reference there, Andy. Okay. Yeah, uh, Mike Eagle, maybe you could speak a little bit on how we develop this, the MSRs and medleys in the band. Right. Um, well, for the MSRs, I mean, I, I remember distinctly the very brief conversation Andrew Douglas and I had about it in that ultimately it, it doesn't matter. Pick, pick good marches, pick good stress bass, pick good reels, put them in whatever combination you want. Don't make rocket science about your breaks. Just be decisive. Boom. MSR done. And I know that that, um, you know, from that, you know, from a big picture perspective, that's what it is. There's the book, how to form an MSR done. You just need to pick your music and you need to pick your transitions. The, um, the thing that I like to tell bands when I go consult bands, you know, a lot of times lower grade bands will fly me in just to work with the drummers. And then ultimately I kind of end up being sort of an ensemble coach, which, which I don't mind doing when asked. I'm very, very open when I say I cannot give you uh, technical instruction or any details as far as, you know, the piping goes, but I can certainly talk about style and I can certainly talk about ensemble. And the thing that every band seems to struggle with are tunes, tempos, and transitions, because that's all there is, especially with MSRs, tunes, tempos, transitions. You just need to be decisive. There is no profound heritage-based knowledge. There's nothing. You need to pick your tunes. You need to pick your tempos. You need to choose your transitions. Boom. Then you're done. And then for medleys, yeah, sure. I mean, don't forget about the, I mean, at least, yeah. I mean, and the overall groove and feel, I think that's the most important thing. So, and, and the groove and the feel will, needs to and will apply to whatever tunes that you pick. So, um, yeah, we'll play, I'll play anything. I mean, I think you switch it up, uh, from year to year if you can, just to keep things interesting. But then overall, you know, for me, the MSR is a technical, um, exercise and it's an exercise in, you know, taking that technique and putting it together in a, um, in a musical groovalicious type way. Um, so, I mean, I, I mean, absolutely. We could certainly talk for years about, about how to interpret or execute the MSRs. I was just speaking blank of uh, making a blanket statement about how to how to compile or how to form an MSR. Pick your tunes, pick your tempos, pick your transitions, stick to it, and, and on you go. And then um, it's it's basically the same thing with the medleys. I mean, yes, I mean uh, Andrew and I would definitely advocate trying to have a a a more musical, a more compositional approach to medleys. It's just more enjoyable as a player and an audience member to hear medleys that are that actually make sense from top to bottom as opposed to the the typical formula tune 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 
done. So there are some harmonic things. You can use motifs, either rhythmically or melodically. There's all these cool extra musical things you can do. But when it boils down to how do I make a medley, you've got tunes, tempos, and transitions. And you need to pick those three things, and then on you go. Yeah, I mean, um, Stephen's asking, do you plan to expand your boundaries in medley style a la Toronto Police or keep more traditional in your melody development, or medley development, rather? Um, the answer is uh, we, always we always plan to expand our boundaries, um, but uh, I, doubt, I doubt we would ever go so far as some of the medleys that Toronto Police have produced. You know, they're really pushing the envelope. Um, you know, I think um, my personal, I, I enjoy the traditional, um, you know, traditional tunes quite a bit. And I actually really enjoy the traditional medley formats and styles quite a bit. Um, so I, I don't personally feel compelled to really super push the envelope. Um, but you'll notice, I think, if you listen carefully, um, that uh, Oren Moore's medleys are far from not expanding boundaries, uh, especially uh, the medley that we're going to play at Maxville is particularly exciting. And the medley that we played in uh, 2011, or was it 2010? That was 2011 at the Worlds, uh, was also, um, you know, was also very interesting. Could it, you know, but at the end of the day, really, I mean, it doesn't matter how interesting your medley is if you're not executing well. Uh, because um, I like to, I like, I like to, you know, to try and get the W if I can. Um, and so, so that, yeah, so coming around to summarize the construction of medleys and as to how far we plan to push the boundaries, um, the bottom line is until we've really fully developed um, the, the technique of everyone in the band uh, and really everyone is fully bought into the methodology and executing it really, really well, it's only somewhat relevant what tunes you pick, um, you know. And then, and then once once you're absolutely at the cutting edge, like a Field Marshal, SFU, Inverary, Scottish Power, only then do I feel like the medley construction is, um, you know, really worth losing sleep over. Oh, let's see. Okay. Oh, yeah, I wanted to comment on Andy was disagreeing about the fact that there's a lot of grade three pipe bands. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, th I think you're kind of right about that. Mike says, I think I need to reconnect. Oh, yeah, I, th I think we lost we lost Eagle down there. Hold on. Let's see. Let me uh, let me put him back up. In the presenter spot. There we go. <clears throat> Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I kind of see what you mean there. I mean, obviously, you know, in any situation, there's going to be usually the most grade fives and then a couple of grade fours and then a few less grade threes. And, and I certainly know in the North, Northeast things can feel a little bit isolated. Um, but, uh, at least traditionally we've had, uh, what I consider to be several really top level grade three bands in the USPBA, but, um, uh, none of them are really, really, uh, pushing the grade two level. So, uh, so anyway, again, um, I think tonal quality is the most overlooked element. Um, you know, it's kind of like, I don't think, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to get myself in trouble if I 
if I uh, ramble too much, but I don't think, um, you know, I don't think Jimi Hendrix would have been a famous guitar player if his guitar didn't sound that good. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or I don't think, uh, you know, yeah, I don't think the Dave Matthews band would be a hugely popular band if they didn't, you know, tend to the sound of their instruments or, or what have you. Sound is a fairly significant part of the whole music thing. Yeah, it's weird. And we've sort of written it out, right? And and it's happened in Ontario a little bit too. Tonal quality has been written out because um, I don't know why. I don't, I don't know why. Um, some people have difficulty defining what good tonal quality is. Right? I think it has to do with harmonics and richness and, um, you know, achieving something worth listening to. Okay, Gary says, remember how much dissonance there was when we were listening to different bands? Well, you could point to the bands that had a higher percentage of supporters. There's never a consensus on which band was the best. Question. I'm a little bit lost here, Gary, but I'm going to keep going. Question. Is, is best a personal choice defined by tonality of the sound or something you can quantify? I think it's something you can quantify, Gary. Um, and it has to do with, it has to do with, uh, you know, degree of harmonic richness. Okay. Now, I mean, and there are other things too that are subjective, like the balance between the drones and the chanters or, um, you know, whether or not absolute maximum harmonics is what you want. But um, there's no question in my mind that, uh, you know, bands like Field Marshall and SFU are producing the best tonal quality. Um, and it has to do with the overall richness and then, of course, accuracy of tuning. Andrew, what about this question by Lee? What's missing in the tonal quality in grade three? Uh, yeah, well, well, what's missing is, uh, complete, you know, and again, this is an opinion, and it doesn't apply to everybody, so I'm not saying everyone stinks. I'm simply saying, generally speaking, what's missing is uh, a lack of harmonic richness in the chanter sound. Let me okay. let me ask you this, Andrew Douglas. Um, is is that due to a lack of knowledge? Is it due to a lack of the um, better materials in the pipes to equal the better sound? So is, is it more knowledge based or is it more material? Uh, well, I think there are two reasons that this is the case. Number one is definitely a lack of knowledge. Okay, and I definitely lack this knowledge until I you know, started spending a lot of time with Jack Lee and, and Terry Lee and with the SFU pipe band. So it's definitely partially a lack of knowledge, but I think the greater problem is the lack of weight that's given to this, right? The, you know, the, uh, the lack of importance that a judge places on this, right? That, uh, you know, people will figure it out if, if it's more important. Um, and it's sort of dropped off the radar as being important. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's lack of knowledge um, a little bit, and then the materials. I mean, um, I don't think uh, I don't think uh, the materials are really a problem. Um, Bruce says. Well, Bruce says I think harmonic richness decreases as the pitch increases. I do not necessarily agree with that. Um, uh, you know, I think Field Marshal almost always has the sweetest pitch, and almost always has the sweetest overall tonal quality. That's what tempts me not to agree with that. Now, granted, scientifically, right, as the fundamental increases, 
uh, certain higher end harmonics would theoretically drop off the range of hearing. So you could be right scientifically. Um, okay, more questions. These are cool, all really excellent questions, by the way. Wondering if you're satisfied with the current chanter pitch for the bigger bands. If it continues to rise, would you be more apt to stay at the current pitch or keep rising? Well, um, the bottom line is, here's the bottom line, is that uh, the higher the pitch, the sweeter, uh, the sweeter we think it sounds. It's a psychological thing. So, And the same is true in drumming. So if uh, one drum corps plays uh, exactly the same as another drum corps, except for the second drum corps, it's just slightly higher pitched. Um, it'll seem more pleasing to the ear, and pipe bands are definitely, definitely the same way. I've experienced it myself, and um, I agree, right? The slightly higher pitch sounds better. I think, uh, I think that, um, I think my personal opinion is that there should be a limit, or there should be a standard pitch um, to avoid it uh, from rising any further. That's my personal opinion. Not because, and like I said, I mean, slightly higher pitch sounds sweeter and sweeter, but, um, but at this rate, we'll never draw the line. And, and the instrument is going to, um, you know, lose that character. And, and see, now I'm leaning back towards, now I'm leaning back towards what, uh, I can, I can give a, a, a little bit of perspective on this. So I, I think that the, the, pitch thing for the whole band, for the pipes, tonal center, and even for the drums. I, I think that this is gonna this is gonna come in a wave. A wave that right now we are on the incline and we're gonna get to the peak and then all of a sudden we're gonna figure out there's nowhere left to go and we're gonna start declining. Obviously if you listen to pipe band CDs from even the eighties, it's quite a bit lower than what we have today. Even CDs from the nineties are quite a bit lower than what we hear today. And again, if you look at symphony orchestras and if you look at DCI or drum corps international groups, they went through the exact same wave. Um, drum corps finally switched from traditional G, bu uh, G bugles and C bugles to B flat concert horns around the time that I was in about 2000, 2001. And that immediately raised the pitch. And so all of a sudden, all the percussion instruments, all the drums started raising with it. You started seeing rims lined up with snare drum heads. It was ridiculous. And so for about a four or five year period, everyone was trying to get a tonal center rather than 440. They were shooting for like 445, 446. And it just got ridiculous. And then about a four year period later, we're where we are today where everything is not, it's not darker, not dark like it was back in G-Beagle days, but it's natural, it's comfortable. The tonal center is fluctuating between 440 and 442, which would be the white key A on the middle of your piano. In symphony orchestra, same thing. If you listen to some of those classic, uh, let's say, London Philharmonic recordings that did the first Star Wars stuff back in the 70s, man, their tonal center is barely 440. It's, it's, it's a little bit lower. It's a really, really dark sound. And that's not because of the technology of the time. That's because that's where the tonal center was. And then we had this big wave of every single orchestra trying to stretch the boundaries of how high their tonal center could be. Because just like Andrew said, it's a psychological thing. We hear higher, so we think better. But that's not necessarily true. So if you think of those two genres, drum corps and symphonies, those are very, very mixed instrumentation ensembles. Uh, most of which are very, very dark and low resonating instruments. Now think about pipe bands. There are no dark and low instruments. Even a bass drum in a pipe band 
is relatively bright compared to bass drums and other ensembles. And yet we're at the forefront right now in 2013 of trying to push our tonal centers and push the ability of a drum to reach a certain frequency. And again, we are inclining and I don't really understand why we, we need to peak right now and not go back, you know, tons and yeah. tons of space, I don't want to go back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't want to sound like the 70s, but like you said, if we keep going, there, there's no end to this and it, it's going to yeah. get a little ridiculous. So I, these other large, large genres went in waves for reaching for tonal centers and tonal qualities. And I think pipe bands are going to do the same thing. I think we're going to keep inclining until it gets ridiculous. And then we're going to naturally settle back into something that's more natural and pleasing. And it makes the instrument manufacturing easier. It makes the setup easier, so on and so forth. But right now, we're certainly in an incline. Yeah, let's, let's uh, answer some of these questions that have popped up. What pitch uh, does Orinmore attune to? Or what pitch do we use? The answer to that question is uh, we use the most competitive possible pitch. Okay, so it'll change depending on the weather and depending on the trend. So uh, some years the top bands are really pushing the pitch. Sometimes they're not so much. Uh, and we try to be competitive with that uh, for that very same reason, right? We want to produce um, uh, a psychological effect that's positive. Um, and by the way, I don't think that's entirely necessary in the lower grades. So I'm not encouraging that. Uh, a pipe band in in uh, in the lower grades where that psychological effect is not as important, right? What's really important in those grades is good tonal quality and excellent technique and playing and musicality, right? Um, uh, in that case, you should, you should uh, seat the reed and otherwise, you know, produce the pitch that gives you the best overall balance and tonal quality, right? And which, by the way, we're still doing at the high levels. It's just kind of like a little bit more intense because we're, we're trying to squeeze out a little bit more pitch. So uh, that answers that. Uh, here's one. Uh, I know Andrew Bertoff um, uh, has written an article about how the size of pipe bands is getting out of control, and that may or may not have inspired this question. Any view or opinion on the numbers of pipers we are seeing on the field in grade one? Yes. My, my personal opinion is I think bands sound way better, and they're producing way better music, and they're way more exciting to listen to, and they produce way more of an awesome effect now than they ever, ever have before. Uh, and so complaining about uh, how that affects grade two and other bands uh, does not resonate with me um, at all. You know, uh, I, I love a big band. You know, the bigger the team, the, the better the music you can make, in my opinion, as long as you do it well. Uh, meanwhile, I don't think a smaller band is necessarily bad, uh, but it's harder produ to produce that amazing sound with lower numbers of people. Uh, and so uh, I... Um, don't necessarily have any opinion on the matter, but I would say it's certainly not on my list of things that needs to be fixed in the pipe band world. And there should definitely not be limits to the number of people that can go out on the field. That's my personal opinion. Um, let's see, what else we got here, Mike? Uh, Yeah, something about uh, snare drum shells, but it looks like Eagle is answering that uh, in the chat. Steven says, how about the format of playing in a circle? That's interesting. Um, right. It's definitely interesting. I think that, uh, I think and sort of hope that 
that we will go to the concert formation eventually. Um, you know, like I really like the I really like the uh, Breton music format a lot. Mm-hmm. The concert formation, and you know, I, I would also like to see you know um, a, a mix of different instrumentation. And I'm not saying switching instruments. I'm just saying it would be great if uh, if the medley or if a third type of event emerged where you could have some soloists playing and maybe a quartet here and and breaking off and doing different dynamic things and groups. Um, I would really like to see that emerge um, as part of as part of what's going on. I really would. I really I really like uh, Breton music format. I really really like DCI format. And then uh, of course other forms of music are doing a variety of things. But I really like the diversity and the dynamicism that these other forms are getting. And so yeah, um, I think I think formation is definitely going to come into play. Um, and I seem to have remember having heard things about the BBC trying to work with the RSPBA to incorporate more of that. So I have a hunch it might be coming. It's, it's an interesting thing that when, you know, I, I feel like a, bi- a big part of what I do and what my responsibility is in this whole pipe band thing is to to find other other people that want to get in and do this that maybe would not have a positive opinion about it or otherwise not be aware of it. One of the first things people ask me is, why do you guys stand in a circle? And it's something that I never really think about. Like, I didn't necessarily ask that when I first got into this. They just said, this is what you do. So, okay, it's what we do. But almost everyone who I introduce this to and I show them videos or pictures or whatever, that's the first question. Why are you standing in a circle? And I explain the reasons why, and they still look at me confused. And, um, I mean, Andrew Douglas is absolutely right when he's making a point to mention the Breton Bagads. If you guys are not aware of what is going on in Brittany, France, please do yourself a favor and go check it out. There's not a ton of stuff to find on YouTube simply because the bulk of that which is there is all in French. But if you look for the big groups and just do some blanket searches on Google, you'll find the best groups out there and you'll see how they stand. So let's just talk logistics for a moment, how they stand and how they produce the ensemble that they do. And it's in a very logical manner. And yes, there is watching involved as as we do need to watch each other and watch fingers and sticks at times and whatnot. But they, like most large ensembles, rely more on listening. And so that listening aspect combined with the eyes sure does help a lot. And as the BBC has been arguing, it just makes for a more audience-friendly experience when we can actually see the fronts of the players and have a more balanced presentation and sound. So, yeah, everyone definitely needs to check out the Breton Magods and see what they do and how they do it because it's fantastic. From a musical standpoint, that is my response to what about the medley construction? What about Toronto? What about this? What about that? Man, if, if we want to look anywhere to figure out what is the next step for pipe bands and medley construction, it's, it's not symphonies. It's not DCI. It is the Bretons because the Bretons have got that figured out. Now, I don't think that Scottish music is ever going to, or the pipe band community, are ever going to want to get as radical as the Bretons do with their music. Uh, we're never going to have free reign to do whatever we want like they do. But how they use these uh, completely simple five-note medleys and orchestrated over 60 or 70 people is just gorgeous and amazing. So that's the direction we're heading um, for so many reasons. 
yeah, I agree. Sorry, just typing a little something there. Um, yeah, I, I generally agree with that statement. I um, I, I like the simplicity of what we do in Scottish music quite a bit. Uh, I wouldn't really, you know, I, I, I like the bag ad thing too, and there might be a place for that. Um, I like the, I like the simplicity of it. Um, you know, I think it's kind of cool. I think it's kind of awesome. It's very Scottish. You know, it's kind of like golf. You know, you just got to put the ball in the hole. And with pipe bands, it's kind of like, you know, you got MSRs, then you got a little medley. But don't don't go too crazy. You know, like produce. You know, for me, I, I love producing the awesome tonal quality. I love paying attention to those absolute minute details. I think it's pretty cool. But there's no doubt um, that the bag ads are really, really doing awesome stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, let's see. I, I would say too that I I personally would I would like the MSR to never change. I think the MSR and, and what it is and how it is is a, is a beautiful thing. That is our traditionally rooted competition format, even concert uh, per performance format, whatever the case may be. That does not need to change. Every now and then someone will pop up and say, hey, let's mess with the MSRs. And I don't understand that. We don't need to mess with the no, MSRs. We don't need to do that. No, I think, no, a, no, I no, think no. a really good example of that is, uh, or uh, I think, uh, or sort of a testament to that is, if you look at grade one, if you look at grade one pipe bands, the bands that are winning are not the ones that can play a good medley because uh, every grade one pipe band can play a good medley. You know why? Because uh, the writing on the wall is, especially once you reach the grade one level, medleys are easier to execute. Yes, indeed. Definitely easier to execute. And so um, the big test, especially a, like a band like Oren Moore, for example, um, which is sort of you could say we're on the cusp at, uh, from year to year at the moment, on the cusp of making the final. Right? I think we made the final in 2011 because we had such a good MSR. Um, and I think had it been a medley for a qualifier, um, you would have had different bands make the final. And, but the MSRs would have been much, much weaker in comparison to the medleys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, let me answer this question, uh, which I thought was good. Where did it go? Mm. The question about how do we ha handle the day-to-day -day operations of running the band? Mm -hmm. Financial mm -hmm. decisions, uh, what games are we going to, stuff like that. The bottom line there is technically it's up to the board. Okay, uh, but really what happens is um, uh, Mike Eagle and I decide. Um, so we decide uh, where we're going to, you know, obviously we work with our treasurer to make sure um, that our financial decisions fit the budget. Uh, but we decide how those funds are allocated. We also decide where we're going. We decide when we're having practices. And we also decide uh, what is acceptable for members to do and what is not acceptable. Uh, and, you know, every band run it, runs into that, people uh, pushing the envelope as to what is reasonable behavior for a band member. And so uh, basically how that works is uh, the membership votes once a year on the leadership of the band. Uh, this is how it currently operates. The membership votes once a year on, on who's going to be on the board and primarily who's going to be the pipe major, pipe sergeant, and leading drummer and stuff like that. Uh, but then after that vote is made, uh, we call the shots. Um, and the reason we do it that way uh, is because we've seen countless, countless, countless pipe bands fail uh, or struggle in a big way due to overly 
democratic decision making. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Overly, uh, you know, over, overly democratic uh, operation is really bad because um, uh, it just, I guess, because, right? It slows things down. Uh, decisions take longer to be kitchen. made. And too many cooks in the kitchen. And then just with any, and with any uh, democratic society, collectives form. So you have, you'll always have your bad attitudes co- collective, which is always slightly larger than the diehard, super motivated Made a uh, super motivated, motivated collective, right? Um, it's, it's always sort of it's like it always seems like you know six out of ten people are in the uh, let's just not really push ourselves camp, and that's just been my experience observing uh, what happens. And and again, uh, I'm sure there are bands out there that operate democratically that are really successful, um, and we are technically democratic in that we elect our leadership. But then once the leadership is elected. Um, you know, uh, basically, um, the leading drummer and pipe major call shots, basically. Um, okay, here's um, uh, here's the million dollar or the uh, $999,000 question. Why did Ormore decide not to attend the Worlds this year? Um, you know, actually, Andy, that's um, a decision that was actually somewhat recent. So what we decided to do was um, – you know, what we decided to do there, uh, based on the fact that we have worked, been working on completely rebuilding a drum section from square one, we decided the best thing to do as far as going to the worlds uh, is to, you know, keep our options open. Um, and so, you know, we did everything we could to just kind of push the decision until the last possible moment. I think that moment has passed. Uh, I think generally speaking, we've decided that um, it's not worth the $75,000 investment um, to take uh, the band over when uh, we still feel like there's a lot of development uh, that needs to happen in the drum corps. And, and Eagle, maybe you can, uh, you know, uh, help me out on that a little bit. But I think that's kind of what we decided. It it really, you know, you, you have to consider all things. And, and, and I think that we all in the pipe band community – uh, tend to make decisions based on what other people think and not what's best for our team or our organization. And what we, what we decided was if we really pushed the issue and forced this organization to go to Scotland, best case scenario, we make the cut, we make finals. Are we going to be a stronger organization when we get back home? And the answer was not clearly yes. And so if that's our best case scenario yeah. where we might not be stronger, then I, that's, that's kind of your answer. And it's, it's hard to say that because you have to be very, very disciplined in where you come to that space mentally. And it's hard to do that when you have so many outside influences that could be thinking this or could be thinking that. But ultimately, they don't matter. What matters for us is just like the, what it matters for you and your bands. What's going to make your band happier, stronger, better at the end of the day? after yeah. you decide to do da-da-da. And as far as, you know, development think, is concerned, uh, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, totally. And, and, and I think that's it. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I, I think that's it. You know, I'd say a couple things. First of all, uh, for me, the way I look at this is it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, you know, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, my primary focus, uh, my number one goal uh, in life, 
outside of family is uh, helping uh, the United States win the worlds in grade one. Um, you know, at, at this, you know, uh, I'm hoping that I'm going to be the pipe major of that band, but whatever happens, I'm super focused on, on making, uh, you know, on making and or helping to create uh, the band that does it uh, from the United States. It's never happened before. And there's no good reason that that's never happened now. So meanwhile, it costs a lot of money to get the band over to Scotland, a lot of vacation time that people have to take a lot of plane tickets that people still have to purchase on their own in our band. Right. And so, um, and we would be going over there and I feel like, uh, I feel like if Ormore went over there and, uh, had a great run and made the final, um, you know, and exactly what Mike's saying. If we went over there and we made the final, that's probably pretty much all we'd get. Um, and, uh, I think there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more that can be done at home. Now, the other thing I would say is 99 out of 100 years, what improves a grade one pipe band the most is going to Scotland. So uh, we're certainly going to be back in 2014, rain or shine, uh, mm -hmm. and 2015 and 2016 and 2017. Uh, but it's just this is that one year out of 100 where I think everything being so new, right, tons and tons of new people, um, it's better to let it gel here at home. Um, you know, develop our uh, our new and improved um, our new and improved general um, methodology and approach as well. For sure, for sure. Uh, a quick note on the on the development thing for the drummers. I mean, make no mistake, uh, the guys who we have, may they have pipe band experience or not, are phenomenal drummers, and um, they know how to accomplish musical tasks even if they have not done them before. That's why, again, they're professional people. That's why they're on this team. Um, but it's not, the development is not the musical development. Can we all get better? Do we all have room to improve? Yes, that, that goes without question. It is not a, a, an issue of the drum core is not good enough to go over. That was definitely never on the table because that's not what is happening. But as I was speaking before about, about finding a way to put your life first and to put your pipe band stuff second, if you're in a higher grade band, if you're in a grade one band, that is an enormous commitment. And so even though we've got a couple dozen people who have said, yes, this music is awesome. I'm on board. I want to play with Orrin Moore. That doesn't mean that they can just poof and have their whole life accommodate that desire. It takes a little bit of time to figure out, okay, what am I going to do with my job schedule? What am I going to do with my wife? What am I going to do with my kids? What am I going to do with my degree that I'm seeking? Whatever the case may be. And again, if we just force fed the issue and forced all these people to go to Scotland, if we said we have to go, they would go. They just wouldn't be very happy when we got back. We would rather them figure out how to adjust their life so they can be in Orrin Moore for a long, long time. So rather than just go to Scotland in 2013, as Andrew said, we can go to Scotland for many, 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 many years with many of the same people in the future. Uh, yeah, Patrick Sweet says, sounds like you are saying you will not go back to the Worlds until you feel you can make the list. Um, yes, that's true. However, with that said, um, I feel we can make the list in 2014. So, uh, so to respond to that, yeah, we'll be back in 2014 and we'll be working to make the list. Um, and, um, you know, again, a lot of times 
a lot of times, even though a pipe major and, and Pat, I know you know this because you've been in this position before. Sometimes a pipe major and uh, or a leader in a pipe band, you know the potential of your group, even though the potential has yet to be reached. So it's possible we get to 2014 and uh, and we know the potential's there, but we might just not really put it together quite yet to make the list. But I certainly believe that we'll make the list in 2014. Uh, do I believe we could make it this year? Uh, if we had gone, uh, the answer is I certainly believe we had the potential to, um, for sure. Uh, I wouldn't be doing this. Uh, I wouldn't be doing this if I uh, if I didn't think Oren Moore had the potential to make the list. Um, yeah, I, you know, and and uh, I don't really ask anyone to agree with me, but I I personally believe I think we have what it takes to win the worlds um, in a way shorter period of time uh, than. Uh, I'm not going to admit how short that period of time is, uh, but it's it's short. I think I think we can win. I think we're making big things, and we got to wrap this up here. But I, I'll leave you with the following thought, um, you know, which is, um, and I'm not going to really get into specifics, but we're working on some very very big things here at Orimore that uh, mm -hmm. you know that I think are really going to hopefully uh, change the game in a positive way here. Um, for for the band and um, you know and, and we're working on those things as well. So and all of these things have been accelerated by you know taking taking one year off uh, from the world. So, but thanks for asking that question. Um, I know I know there are a lot of things going around. Um, there are a lot of people that uh, are you know speculating that the you know this and that and various things about the band. And um, what I might humbly suggest is uh, you know. As far as what you're worried about, make sure you're worried about your own playing and your own music making, and we'll worry about our stuff. And um, the important thing is that everybody everywhere is focused on making the best music that they can make, and Oramore is definitely uh, – that's what we're all about. We always have been. Um, and so those are the, the decisions we're going to make are what we feel are in the best interest of the band. Um, what gives us the best chance to win. And I also believe what gives us the best chance to win is producing the ultimate quality of music. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Andy says, Oh yeah, the world's draw, I guess just came out. So that's pretty cool. And the best uh, for last go USA. What are the philosophical differences between Oren Moore and LA Scots? He says, I assume we will win the worlds before they do. Um, I don't know. I, I think uh, LA Scots are a great band. Um, they, they, um, I think the LA Scots are, uh, blessed with, um, at least at the moment, you know, they have a really, really strong infrastructure at the LA Scots and they, they do really, really well with fundraising. Uh, and so they're just really, really, um, I don't know, uh, just really, really good <laughs> is the bottom line. Uh, philosophical differences. I can't really speak to that other than to say, um, you know, it's an honor to be, uh, the second grade one band in the U.S. Uh, and the Ally Scots to be the other one. Uh, amazing drum, one of my favorite drum corps uh, for sure. And um, I think the pipe core keeps improving every year uh, for sure. Mm -hmm. So uh, as far as that goes, let's see. Yep, we're wrapping it up here. Thanks very much, everybody, for the questions. And uh, congrats on Catamount for playing last. Now you got to make it good, you know. Uh, and uh, we'll talk to everybody next next week on Dojo Universe. Thanks for coming out. Right on. Thanks a lot, everyone.